and welcome back to Dunya Rising, my podcast focused on spirituality, well-being and creativity. I'm Dunya, I'm a DJ, musician, sound healer and lover of podcasts and just talking in general and this has to be one of my favourite episodes to date, focusing on an incredible singer and musician, Aisha Rosa, who I met last year during one of her gigs in Bristol and was absolutely blown away by her voice. So raw, so powerful, and really helped me to access my own grief. Aisha Rosa uses music as a form of activism to promote Kurdish Alevi rights, and singing is one of the ways that the Kurdish culture has been passed on. She draws on traditional Kurdish styles with a strong blues influence, capturing the sorrowfulness of the oppression of the Kurds with the soulfulness of blues music, and Nina Simone being one of her biggest inspirations alongside Aisha Shan. In this episode, Aisha explains how her music goes beyond just entertainment to actually connecting and channeling the grief and pain of her ancestors. She also talks about music as a form of protest and the oppression of Kurdish people in Turkey and why so many Kurds have moved to European countries to be able to express their culture, to express their identity, to stand for their rights as language, music and dance has been forbidden. In this episode, we explore homeland, identity, female empowerment, spirituality and the power of music for healing. She also gives huge credit and praise to her friend and musical collaborator, Jenk Shanlo Orlu, a profound guitarist and massive supporter of Aisha. And I'm so excited to play a live recording of Aisha at Karaja Music at the end of this episode. And here are some of my favourite quotes. I think what really inspires me about my music is that there's a lived history of sorrowness of being forced to leave your homeland. I felt at that moment that I was able to connect to um, my ancestors, to my culture, to those um, sounds that were forbidden, to those words that were forbidden, and I was able to give it voice. I lose myself to my, you know, to the depth of, of my inner self. And it's almost like I'm meeting the the goddess within. You want to be able to kind of show like how art can provide that space of understanding other communities, other cultures. so much again I, should, I know i've said that a hundred times but i'm no, so thank excited. you no 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 i i really appreciate it well i was pretty much a fangirl after i heard you sing and perform with jenk and i was really i was just struck by it because it's not every day like the performances just hit you on that level there's so much that I want to ask you, Aisha, and I really want to get into more about your music and your inspirations and your beautiful voice. But I'd love to hear about you first, your journey. Can you tell us where you grew up, 
And have you always been a singer? So I came to London with my parents in 1990 after my dad seat political asylum in the UK. So I've been in the UK since I was eight years old. And um, quickly from there on, um, moving to a different country, different language, different culture, we were able to find a space where we could call home, which was the Kurdish Community Centre. It was a place where the Kurdish and the Alabi community gathered and basically shared their time and the community coming together, practicing their culture. For example, folk dance lessons was something that my parents had sent us to, me and my siblings. That was a lot of fun. And from there on, growing up in the community center, I was able to kind of find a space where I could express myself and be a part of my culture, being obviously thousands of miles away from your home. That space allowed us to be ourselves. It was comforting to be in that space. Mm. Um, so it also kind of gave us the ability to express ourselves in terms of our identity. I suppose what I was interested in that you picked up on there was that being able to express yourself freely, that feels yeah. so important as a creative. And I know that it's quite vulnerable sharing our creativity. And it seemed like for you, you were able from a young person being in that community center to express yourself freely. Is that where you first started singing? Yes. I basically was a long-term member of the Kurdish folk dance group at the community center. I loved it so much that it became the center of my life. I continued for a number of years and I then basically built up on learning more and more. And I became a member of the Kurdish Folk Dance European Committee. That's amazing. And, yeah. And I started teaching folk dance from there on. And then I started playing the dahul, which is the Kurdish drum. Okay. Which you dance to through the folk dance, which is called halai. It's such a broad traditional way of dancing. So it's yeah. when you look at Kurdistan, you'll see that different parts of Kurdistan uh, dances are traditionally danced in different ways. And okay. they all have different meanings. It's one of the most important forms of culture practice in the Kurdish history, in the Kurdish culture. Because the Kurdish culture and the Kurdish language was forbidden in Turkey, and I think Dancing and singing were the main traditions to actually express ourselves in terms of our history and what we've been through, mm. what the Kurds have been through, and also the Alevis, because I'm a Kurdish Alevi. Can so you I, tell us what that means, actually, Aisha? Because so, I wasn't sure. Yeah, so uh, Alevi is, uh, and the Qazilbash are a different form of um, religious group that exists in Turkey and Mesopotamia. And it's actually not a recognized religion in Turkey, in the Turkish constitution. And in the history of the formation of the Turkish constitution, the Turkish Republic, the Alevis were forbidden to practice their culture, their dance, their music, 
their rituals. And still is not a recognized religion as well as Kurdish identity not being recognized under the Turkish constitution. So there's two sides of me that are forbidden in Turkey. And, um, and it's also very difficult to be a woman in Turkey. There's so many aspects. There's so many things that I relate to mm. um, as a person myself. Being that I've been here nearly all my life, mm-hmm. but I've always kind of turned my face towards my culture, my identity, my language. And one of the reasons why I can't, I'm not fluent in Kurdish is because Kurdish language was forbidden in Turkey. So my parents have also stopped speaking Kurdish when they moved to Istanbul from Kurdistan. And mm-hmm. It's been quite difficult in, mm. in that terms for, for the Kurdish people. And which is one of the reasons why a lot of Kurdish people have left their homes and have seeked asylum in European countries mm-hmm. from the 80s and onwards. Because there was so, a lot of pressure and there was a lot of oppression by the state that you don't practice, that you're not politically active. And once you are politically active, you're blacklisted. So that's why a lot of Kurdish people are in in Europe at the moment, to be able to express their culture, wow. to express their identity, to stand for their rights. Um, so powerful. Yeah. It reminds me of how much art is a form of rebellion, is a form of activism. And it's really powerful to hear an artist, a singer, a creative talk about this in a way that it goes beyond just kind of surface level reasons to sing or write lyrics or bring art to the people. It's actually about keeping a culture alive. And I feel so moved and I'm quite angry hearing about, you know, the language being forbidden, the dance being forbidden. And I really can't imagine what that's like to then have to fight to keep that culture alive, especially with the language as well, because so much of our codes and rituals are within the language too. How did the singing come into this then? Because your voice, it feels like is that part of you is to again connect with your culture and is it something that was encouraged in the Kurdish community centre? So yeah, I would say it was encouraged in the community centre and also about how I grew up, my upbringing. Um, music is a central thing in, in Kurdish families, in the Alevi families. So you would find a SAS player or a singer in nearly all families because it's one of the ways that the Kurdish culture was passed on. For example, I don't have a Dengbesh singer in my family, but it's a very, very vital and it's a very crucial part of the Kurdish memory. It was one of the the important ways to, to keep the, the Kurdish memory. It was passed on from one generation to another. And Dengbesh is, is one of them. And Dengbesh means like you have the Deng, which is the voice, and the Bej, which is the teller, tells the story. So 
they're called the storytellers and they uh, talk about the, um, the Kurdish history or, or an episode or something that might have happened at the village. And the Dengbej basically talks through that by singing okay. and it's thereon passed on. Basically, it has hundreds and thousands of memories in Dengbej about the Kurdish history. So That's because uh, we don't have written uh, history of the Kurdish culture, but we have Dengbej, we can say that the known stories of the Kurdish culture, we actually owe it to the Dengbejans, the Dengbejs. Wow. And there's also a way of expressing your inner self through Dengbej. They would also mourn through Dengbej because it would also tell sad stories. Mm. And then we have Aghats, which is a very similar tradition, but Aghats are more like a way of lamenting and basically describes the pain that that person goes through when there's a dead person, when a mm. close person dies. It's like a ritual kind of ceremony kind of way of telling that person's life. What was the name for well, that? Sorry, Aisha. Aghats. It's A-G-I-T. It's lamenting. A way of expressing that grief. Yeah, so it's, it's basically the folk songs that done in a very sorrowful way. It's, mm. it's crying and it's expressing that person's feeling about the person who passed away. That relationship to death feels quite intimate if you're able to really express the pain and grief yeah. and sing about it. Yeah. Sometimes I find in Western culture, there is a lot of fear around death and it's yeah. kind of, it can feel really formal. You know, yeah. the whole funeral process, but this yeah. feels really intimate. Yeah, so it's it's more like a, it's 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 a form of grieving. And it's it's your it's a form of showing your your sadness and your sorrow for the person that passed away. Through that tradition, you can see that the culture is actually maintained and it's kept and it's being passed on. And I think it's very powerful in terms of really understanding where you come from yeah and especially being a person that grew up in london it's it's important for all of us to really keep that and to understand and pass it on it's so powerful that you're saying this aisha because i've just felt as uh, more as i grow up as well this deep need to connect to my culture in morocco and i haven't been to morocco i haven't met my family I don't see the important part members of my family to retain that culture. And I've had this longing to really connect with my ancestors in that way. And, and part of that, it was almost like this longing is like, share your music with me. Like I almost wanted to hear the songs from Morocco because it felt like that's how I can connect. When I sing, I almost feel like I connect with my ancestors. In a sense, it's very spiritual kind of connection with my history and with my ancestors. And it's very, very powerful. And it, it does empower me as a Kurdish woman who yes. lives in London. So I want to be able to kind of contribute to that. I want to be able to contribute to the culture, to, to the songs, to music. And I've been able to do that through folk dance as well. And, amazing. Um, so singing and dancing as well. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. I don't do as much dancing as 
teaching dancing as as I did, but uh, weddings and mm-hmm. community gatherings and celebrations, I make sure that I am part of that and I attend mm-hmm. to that because I think it's a way of preserving that. And being a part of it is actually contributing to the preservation of your culture. And I think we all need a space where we can express ourselves. Definitely. Um, And these kind of spaces, like community spaces, like weddings and ceremonies. And I go to um, funerals as well, where I see the practice of art. Women do practice the tradition of art. And while that happens, I actually connect to all those women because Arut is mainly practiced by women. There are men who do it, but Arut is, you can see in history and you can see through the practices that it's practiced by women. And Mm. when I see that, I feel like I'm connecting and it's just so embedded in me that I feel it. And when I feel it, I actually transcend that into my music. Yeah, I'm really struck by that because especially when you said that the practice that it's mainly practiced by women, that feels really empowering because I feel that when I've tried to connect with my culture, there's a level of like I deeply want to connect to my culture, but then there's a level of where it feels like a patriarchy where like some of the practices are only by men. For example, like I thought, okay, let me try singing in Arabic and like, oh, I'd love to sing the call to prayer and really connect to the divine. And then I was like, actually only men do that. And it just kind of felt like, oh, you know, I'm really trying to connect. And then there's that sense of I don't belong still. But that feels really beautiful that it's like that's actually with, a with women. And I think it's giving that we live in a patriarchal system. When you see women doing these, mm. I really think it puts women in a place where we are powerful and we can do things that mainly told that we can't do to a certain level i think that's wrong i think we can change it although there are things in society in in cultures where women are seen as second class citizens (laughs) but with the dengbej tradition you'll see more men practicing the dengbej Mm -hmm. okay but then in the 1950s and the 60s you saw women doing dengbej so you have Aisha Shan, Maryam Khan practicing Dengbej. Mm-hmm. And I do say that we don't have a lot of written history. But in the Yerevan radio, you, you saw that there were Kurdish singers mm-hmm. um, because it was forbidden to practice or to keep any kind of recorded Kurdish music. Mm-hmm. So Yerevan radio was uh, one place where in the 1950s gave voice to Kurdish music. Amazing. And, um, you can still listen to them on YouTube. You can get to uh, listen to these recordings, which I find fascinating because yeah. you actually get to hear the Kurdish history, the Kurdish sound, the Kurdish voice. Wow. Because Dengbej voice has a traditional, it has a distinct and unique style of singing voice tone. Okay. And you, you, you get to hear that for the first time. And I find that wow. quite magnificent. It's being practiced in the villages. Um, you can see it, you can hear it in ceremonies, men and women singing Dengbej. 
So I think Yerevan Radio is a has a very, very um, significant role in keeping the Kurdish Dengbej kept history. It's beautiful to hear it. You said as well that there's a specific tone as well that they use, because this is what I'm finding really powerful about everything that you're saying, that it's through the power of storytelling and music that the culture is kept alive. And I just, mm-hmm. and we know that from our ancestors, this is how our traditions and our rituals have been passed down. But it just feels so magical that it's like there's this force of oppression and yet the strength of the people and the integrity of the people to keep the language, to keep the codes coming through. I was so fascinated that you said it's a specific tone because I thought maybe anyone could be Dengbej if they remembered all of the songs, but actually it's also a specific tone too. It's the stories, but I think it's moreover, it's the traditional way of doing it was passed on. It was preserved from one generation to another. And it was made sure, I guess, that in history that their children will keep it and then that will just pass on. In the 1950s, we were able to hear it live on radio, which is quite important. And I think it's quite significant in terms of keeping the Dengbej traditional um, style on record. It's, it's incredible. It gives like so much hope and inspiration. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to actually listening myself after. It almost feels like destiny that you would be a singer because it's so embedded within the culture. You're growing up being raised in this community centre, which is very much keeping about the traditions alive. When was the first time that you really thought, oh, wow, like, I've, I've got a gift here? Like, did your parents encourage you to sing? Were you known as the singer of the family? I was quite active in the, the Kurdish cultural activities. And um, I, I loved listening to music. And then I started mumming to these songs. And being young that I was, we thought, oh, okay, we can start doing something together and being encouraged by friends at the, at the community. We then formed our small band at the community centre. And then it just really kicked off from there. And then I started becoming more and more interested in the music side of my culture because I was more kind of like into the into dancing and playing the whole and the costumes and really researching about the folk dance and the history of it. And then I became more interested in music from there on. And as life can get difficult, things get in the way. So I would say I haven't been doing music for a very long time. Yeah. Wow. That's really special then that it's something that you kind of had this passion for growing up, but then it was, you just sort of stopped for a long time. That must have meant a lot then when you yes, first it, came back to singing. But then I was active in the um, kind of the political side of the, uh, okay. the, the Kurdish question. What do you mean by uh, that? So I basically, I did, I was involved in diplomacy work for Kurdish human rights. Basically, I was petitioning, I was campaigning. 
I really think that really uh, empowered me as a person. Through that, I learned more and more about what the Kurdish people and the Alevi people had been going through throughout history. And when I slowly kind of moved on to music, I thought I can do this through music. I can stand up for my rights through music, for my people's rights. I mean, I live in London, so I'm okay. But there's my homeland that I need to think about, Mm. that I need to turn my face towards to. So I thought music would be a way for me to carry that on. So inspiring. (laughs) Really just so inspiring because I'm just thinking about the intersections of your identity and you spoke in the beginning how powerful and how important understanding your identity was then there's the identity of being Kurdish but being a levy and being a woman as well so there's all these layers of being suppressed from all of these different layers and actually then in your life becoming an activism and then using music to actually Start that revolution, because it always feels like with the revolution, the music and art is at the centre of that. It's what engages us, it's what connects us at a deep level. And I think when I heard you sing and then listened to your recordings after, it was connecting me deep in my heart space. It was, feels like it was helping me to access grief or sadness that was in me through your voice. I am like really fangirling now, but it's true. And it always strikes me when a singer has that power. When you write music or when you improvise music, is it always coming from that place of activism or trying to keep the culture alive? Is that what inspires you the most about your music? I think what really inspires me about my music is that there's a lived history of sorrowness, of being forced to leave your homeland. Um, There's a lot of death and there's a lot of war. There's unrecognition of your existence. So I think I will say both the preserving the culture and my inner kind of soul, my voice. I want to be able to give voice to the history of um, what's happened. But I would say I I do it more in an improvisational way. And I was also inspired by the blues tradition. I find a lot of similarities between blues and what I do, because there's a lot of soreness in the blues. Also storytelling. And it's also talking about the suppression. And it's also talking about sadness. And I think there's a lot of connection there. So I do pick up styles from the blues and basically blend it into my kind of Kurdish way of singing. I do want to give it voice from both ends, mm. if you like. So Is there any blues artists or any like particular singers or bands that you really, I'm that really inspired much, you? Yes, I'm very, very much inspired by Nina Simone and her story. It's a sad one, but it's also very inspiring for mm. me as a woman. And I think there's something in her voice which I find that it's similar to the Kurdish sound. And I find it very spiritual. 
Mm. And I find it very powerful. There's a lot of love and there's a lot of suffering Mm. in her voice, which I find very similar to the Kurdish voice. I try Mm. to connect with that too. So powerful because I feel like sometimes in this culture, it is a lot of suppression of our feelings and it's kind of keep calm and carry on and get on with it. And a lot of people are really struggling with their mental health or struggling to express themselves. And it feels like your music or other artists enable us to access that grief. And sometimes I've been in this place where it's like the sadness is so suppressed because we're getting on with life that I'll access some of that grief and I'll be like, oh, wow, there's a whole well of sadness. And sometimes that doesn't even feel like just me. It feels like the sadness of my ancestors. It feels like the people that have come before me that comes into that. So when you talk about music in this way, I just think it's so beautiful and important that we can connect with artists like you and music like this to really feel and go deeper. I was quite interested when you said that you find her voice spiritual. I wanted to ask you that about yourself. Like, you know, are you a spiritual person? And does that translate into your music too? I wouldn't say I'm specifically a spiritual, spiritual person, but I do believe that we as humans have this power inside of us and we can really connect to that. And I find that I can connect to my inner soul and my inner voice through singing. When I get into singing, I do close my eyes, which I've been criticized about quite a lot. Oh, you need to open your eyes. You're always closing your eyes. But that's when I connect to my, my ancestors, people that have lived before me, although I don't know them. I think about them. When I think about them while I'm singing, It's when I can kind of really let it out. And I just feel like something is stuck in there, but I can give it space or allow it to release itself through um, singing. And it just happens at that moment. And when I realize that I can catch that moment, I use that moment. One of the moments that I felt like I was outside this world was when I sang at a church. Tell us um, about that moment. Oh, that, that moment was very, very spiritual when we talk about spiritualism. And I felt at that moment that I was able to connect to um, my ancestors, to my culture, to those um, sounds that were forbidden, to those words that were forbidden. And I was able to give it voice. And it was, it was very empowering as a woman. And it was almost like I was singing, not just to the audience, but I was singing to the people that were dead. I was singing to the dead and I was connecting with them. So I do find that there is a lot of spirituality in what I do. And Mm. it's almost like crying out the sorrows, crying out the morning, 
the suffering, the suppression. Mm. Um, so I feel like I'm able to give it a voice at that moment. So powerful within a church as well. Yeah. And, and it was like, I was like, oh, did that just happen? Mm. And, um, because that happened, I'm always seeking out to do that again, to connect. And I yes. think the only way I can do that is through singing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, please come and do that in Glastonbury whenever you want, and I will make that happen. Oh, it's amazing. That. It's amazing that you say giving voice to that. And probably so many of your ancestors, of my ancestors, not having that voice, actually, to be able to express, being so marginalised that there is no space for expression. So really powerful that you're using your voice. It's almost like you're an open channel to mm -hmm. the grief of the people that have come before you. And that mm -hmm. is healing. I'm really passionate about sound healing mm -hmm. in itself. And that feels like what you're doing, basically. It's like it is quite ceremonial. It's not just singing for the sake of entertainment. It's more than that. Of course, it's entertaining, but it's also a channel for grief and for sadness and to really express pain. So, so beautiful. And recently I've been, as an Alavi person myself, I've been interested in Daesh, a traditional way of singing in the Alavi culture. It's also a traditional way of singing, of, of talking about the culture. And it's, it's almost like a storytelling style from okay. the culture. And it's formally sung with Daz, which is a, a crucial instrument as part of the Alevi and Khazalbash traditional and cultural way of practicing and rituals. So it's, I've been showing quite a lot of interest in that. And my uncle, who is Ashik Haider Erdogan, I'm very fascinated by his work. He used to sing in the 70s and the 80s. And there's a lot of story and there's a lot of history in that as well that I would want to take part in to support and preserving that style of singing. So I feel like there's a lot of connection there. There's a lot of saying and there's a lot of story there that I would want to be part of and to contribute. And yeah. so was your uncle like an inspiration in that way that he was? Yes. Yes. He's, yes. He's an amazing, a profound sass player, Barlama player. He has his own lyrics. And he's been singing for many, many, many years. He's a songwriter. So I want to be able to kind of show my respect to that tradition as an Alibi person myself. It was a culture also that was forbidden to practice in Turkey, given that we were called uh, believers of demons. And Oh, God, um, I didn't know that. Yeah not accepted as part of a different belief group in the Turkish constitution. And there's a lot of work that's been done about that currently in Europe and Turkey to stand up for the Alevi and the Kuzulbash rights. And that we are, uh, we also exist. As much as the Kurdish massacres in the history there's also Alevi massacres in Turkey. There's two sides of me that I really 
relate to. Yeah, and I think it's very important because it's like, given that the Kurdish culture was forbidden, the identity, being able to speak Kurdish, sing in Kurdish, listen to Kurdish music, in order to stand up for our rights and for Kurdish people to have their right to self-determination, Kurdish people have fought and are still fighting for their rights. And I think music is one way of fighting for it. So I think it's it's it's, it's very very important part of my life to stand up for my for my right for my identity for my language for my music for my culture, and it will always be a part of my life. Hmm, it's just really striking because there's so many layers that have influenced you in your music, and it just it just sort of gives me shivers when I think about when you say things like that we exist. And it feels so like, God, we live in a world where we actually have to say that we have a right to exist and that, yeah, that I level mean, of oppression still occurring. And I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, it's uh, you rebel to it. And I think women have played a crucial part through standing up for your rights through Jinjian Azadi slogan, women life freedom is actually embedded in the the Kurdish women's rights movement, where it's given a massive voice to women. And very recently, what happened to Jina Amani and especially what happened in, in Iran to Jina Amani, it's given voice to women's rights in Iran. And it's very, very powerful. And I think it's very important to really support and to stick to that because it's it's a way of standing up for your rights as i said and rebelling it's so fierce it's so like it's so empowering for women to know that actually it's just reminding us you already said earlier in the podcast that women are powerful and Mm -hmm. i think sometimes it's just a remembrance of the power that is innate within us and I'm really glad that you shared that women have played a crucial part in the Kurdish movement and in the activism. It's really inspiring and also a reminder because with the horrific situation that's happening in Iran, that actually the, the slogan Zen Zendagi Ozadi is Kurdish. And but that's a really important reminder for people as well, because even within the mainstream media, it's kind of, I don't think that's really heard and that part is really heard or people don't remember that. Or people don't know that, you know, she was called Masa Armani, but actually that was the Iranian name, but she's not allowed to use her Kurdish name, Jina Armani. So I'm really Jina glad. Armani, Jina uh, was the name that was given to her by her family. Yes. And Jina is a Kurdish Iranian, uh, she's a Rojalati woman. And, and it's quite sad not to hear or see on on media that she was a Rojalati woman. She was a mm. Kurdish Iranian woman. And that Jinjian Azadi uh, comes from the Kurdish women's rights movement. But I feel like it's my duty, people the likes of me, should voice that, should be able to talk about that. Mm-hmm. Because that's where it lies. That's where the history of Jinjian Azadi comes from. And I think it's, it's beautiful to 
see that existing in in Iran. But I think that it should be it should be told. Yes. Be given a voice through that. Even through there, you can see that the Kurds are non-existent and and their existence is not there and i think we need to be able to amplify that i think massively and i think especially as as women i feel like women get a lot of illnesses because of because of the suppressed rage because of the voices not being heard and you start to see us like almost getting like blockages in our energetic body because of this suppression so it's so powerful that you're you've always used your voice for change and that you can give a platform for someone like Gina Armani for her story to be heard and not manipulated in the media or not suppressed in another version coming out. That's something I've really taken from you today, actually, is the female empowerment yeah. and using yeah. your voice for change like and art as activism. That's, that's really comes forth so strongly in this interview and I find it so inspiring. And, and I think that the more powerful women become the more voice that we're getting and to be able to kind of amplify our voice in all parts of society i think the more powerful the society will become it's really important that women are able to stand up for their rights and i'm mm. not saying that i'm a i'm a very big big feminist yes i am but it's not just being a feminist activist, but I think it's also about you talking about women's place in society, women's place in music, women's place in the family, and women's place in ceremonies, ritual ceremonies. And I think women's voice should be heard more because then I think the more powerful women become, the more powerful a society will become. Just magic. I just feel like punching my hand through the air and like protesting on the streets now. I will follow this movement. <laughs> and I love that women, you know, women standing up for rights, women's place in music, women's place in society, women's place in ceremony. I feel a connection to so many of those. Like I said to you, for me, it's like with my Moroccan culture that knowing that when I sung the Quran, that triggered a few people because the woman's not allowed to sing the Quran. Or doing the call to prep, that's not okay because only a man can do the call to prep. And so many times feeling like my access to my culture and my ceremony, there's no place for me there. So I think it's so powerful that you bring that in. And in music, we know like how difficult it is for women in music, whether that's production, tech, being a singer. So I I think think the difficulties still exist. These difficulties for women still exist as much as it existed in the past. For example, Aisha Shan is a profound Kurdish Dengbesh singer. She wasn't allowed to sing. She was also suppressed by her family, by the culture. But she she rebelled against that. She went to Yerevan radio and she sang her songs. And I find that quite fascinating because it's inspired a lot of women. It's encouraged women, and I believe that women can encourage women through music, through different forms. And, and I think it's, it's really important to really keep that in mind while we're doing the things that we do. And we should never forget 
what women have been through throughout yeah. history. And I think it's so empowering that it keeps you going and it mm. keeps your belief going. You believe in it more. You start to believe in yourself more. The more you read about history of women, the more empowered you become. I think it's crucial. And I think women can influence each other. Mm. They can support each other in many ways. But sometimes we do forget about that. Yeah, it's and it becomes like competition and exactly, knocking yeah, each other we, down. And we, we forget about that, especially in, in the society that we live in today. We're becoming more isolated. We're becoming more individuals rather than community. So I think it's, it's really important to not be just a, an individual yourself, not just as a one person. We should be able to kind of work together, support each other and give each other voice. It's really important that women continue to play that role in society and especially in music and culture. Mm. Because the more music, the more we're part of music, the more we're involved in the culture in this process. I think the more we exist mm. and the more we exist is the more we create. And it's better for the whole society. That's the thing. Yeah. Sometimes they see it as this binary. Empowering women also empowers men. It's not one or the other. Empowering women, giving a voice to women makes the whole society better, like you said. And I'm feeling really emotional and really moved to hear you speak because it makes me feel like this is the sort of thing I wish I heard when I was like younger and how I much mean, I hope young women can listen I to mean, this. Like, when I think of women in, in music, and our role in society, I think there's so many things that we can think about. I mean, the first songs that we hear is from our mother. Like, she sings a lullaby. All mums do hum or sing a song or a, a lullaby to their kids, to their babies. The first sounds that you're hearing is that woman's voice. It's really crucial to, to really think about that too. What you were saying kind of reminded me in the same way that when people think that there's only a male God and yet everything is born from the women that exists <laughs> and stop making it seem like women aren't a reflection of the divine too. And I kind of hear that in the same way. The first song you hear is from a woman. So it's difficult for women to get a music. How ironic, because probably the first sound we hear is from our mother's voice. Yeah. So it's, again, so, it's retelling those stories. Yeah, and I think uh, lullabies, given that it's, it's, well, in my culture, lullabies are sung by women. Again, it tells you how important women are and the, the role that they play in music is so important. And we Such are part of that reminder. divine, as you said. Let's not forget, I say. Yes. Yeah. It's a remembrance. And I think, again, that's been a big theme of this episode is remembering Kurdish culture, remembering the rights and the voices and the power of women. It, it's awakening. It's remembering who we are, remembering the story of our ancestors, remembering the grief, the loved ones we lost. That feels like such a powerful theme for this episode.
really wanted to talk to you about knowing the vulnerability of creativity and how hard it is to be a creative, especially as a woman and all the intersections that you're living with. But how nice it is when we have that person that's in our corner and that really believes in us. And you collaborate with the incredibly talented musician, Jenk. Can you tell us more about Jenk? Because I think that's really beautiful. We've talked about empowering women. And sometimes there are the men in our lives or our brothers that actually really uplift women. And I think that's a really important story to tell too. With my music, I try to share my authentic and my raw side of my culture. But that's been really difficult in the past, trying to find the right musicians to work with, to create the right sound. It's been quite difficult. And I would say maybe that was one of the reasons why I hadn't done music for a very long time. So I met Jenk Shanlolu, who is a profound guitarist who moved to London from Turkey. I met him and a friend of mine, Hogar, who's an amazing percussionist, came from Germany. From there on, Levant Gunesh, who is a producer, singer, songwriter, who has a studio called Karaja Music in London. He um, invited us to his studio. We needed a guitarist. So went to DB Music School and spoke to Jenk and said, Hi, we're invited to Levent Kinesh's studio. Would you be okay to collaborate with us? And he said yes. And I was like, okay, I'm feeling very lucky here because he's a virtuous musician. He's been doing music for over 25 years. And we kicked it off and we quickly blended in and um, we understood each other's sound. And we improvised and created the song that we did at the Karaja Music Studio. We continue to work together from there on. And it's been quite fascinating for me in terms of building on my music becoming more conscious about what I'm doing, the sounds that I'm trying to create. He helped me to use what I had and how I can build up on that and how I can create a sound that I can work with. Also very helpful for me to break my insecurities. One thing was that performing to an audience I was able to work to break that insecurity and the confidence that I was lacking in. Through music, I was able to break that. And Jenk has been a very important person in doing that. He's been very supportive and it's been a bit of a roller coaster. So it's, mm. yeah. So amazing um, to find those sort of creative connections. It seems yeah. like he's really like believed in you and really supported you and encouraged you. And that must feel like quite a block, like, you know, having this powerful voice, but also the nerves and the vulnerability of actually performing in front of a crowd as well. It can be truly captivating. It's like really at these moments, it's where I kind of like lose myself. And I'm like, I lose myself to my, you know, the, to the depth of, of my inner self. And it's almost like I'm meeting the the goddess within. And then I'm like, well, the God that's within us, we can find a way to connect to that. 
and it's been a profound experience so far. Meeting the goddess within, that's just yeah. highlight. <laughs> and can we expect more music from you? Can we expect you to be performing with Jenk? Will we find you in London? Can you come to Bristol? Can you come to Glastonbury, please? Like, where, <laughs> where can we access your music? Is it mainly YouTube? I want to be able to use the next few months to really concentrate on building on mm-hmm. the music. When I say that, I mean to write, to create, to find a way that I can really talk about my feelings as a person in the society that we live in today. I want to talk a bit about that. I want to talk a bit about the changing society. And I want to talk about what's happening in the world. So I want to go into the creating process in the next few months. There will be gigs here and there. Mm-hmm. And and yes, we would love to come to Glastonbury or Bristol again. We need it. It's the music is so healing. It's so powerful. You want to be able to kind of show like how art can provide that space of understanding other communities, other cultures, and I think it's it's very important to keep it alive. Mm. And I want to be able to give Kurdish music and Daesh music ballad music, lamenting music, lullabies. I want to be able to give it a voice in the UK and especially in in the London music scene. Mm -hmm. I want to be able to create a space for that. I think your mission is amazing and I I love your passion for not only the music, but the power of music to keep the culture alive, to share traditions and rituals, to empower women. I love this mission. I feel really inspired by it. And the big message being giving a voice to that as well. And I'm so excited to see the next steps. I really (laughs) just see you taking off and just to capture you in this part of the journey and get to interview you. I'm so grateful. So thank you so much, Aisha. Thank you so much, Dunya, for giving me this moment to, to talk about the Kurdish culture, the Kurdish music. It's really important especially nowadays, that uh, what's happening in, in the Middle East, it's very sad to see yeah. what's happening at the moment. Currently, the Kurdish people are still being suppressed by diff- four different parts of Kurdistan, and especially what's happening in Rojava at the moment. It's really sad to see what's happening and not to see that there's a solution to all these uh, problems. Uh, hopefully music will heal. And I think music is a healing tool for our sufferings. So I want to say thank you very much for giving me this opportunity to talk about this. And you give us that hope in what you're doing by keeping the culture alive, by talking about your people, your ancestors. This is, this is the hope that we need by sending love and prayer and song into the world. This is what the world needs. This is part of the healing. So... Thank you so much. Thank you, Dunya. Wow, I am so, so inspired by Aisha Rosa. I really hope you enjoyed listening to this wise woman as much as I did. Please check out the links in the description to find out more about Aisha and her music. I've also left links for more information about Erivan radio station. Like Aisha was saying, 
Throughout the years when the Kurdish language and culture were banned in Turkey, Radio Erivan served as a bridge between the Kurdish people and their culture. And now I'm so excited to play a live recording of Aisha at Karija Music with Cenk Şanlı Orlu on guitar and Hogir Gurigan on percussion. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you. 